This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back to another episode of Latitude's In Session Podcast. Today I'm joined by Corey Godar. Corey, thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, Jake. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So we went down in March, you, me, Chris Leppert, Josh Luck, and we scouted Kentucky in the hill country, put out a bunch of cameras, filmed and in sessions over on YouTube. And the whole point of today's podcast is to do a follow up on that. So we decided that we were going to make our first trip down there to check those cams. And it wasn't necessarily just a data collection standpoint. A lot of it had to do with the fact that we were worried about turkey hunters getting to our cameras because we put them out so early and then uh, greenery growing up in front of them. So we're just going to run you guys through that process, give you a midsummer update on where we stand with our first season down in Kentucky. There's definitely been some highs and lows. It's been a roller coaster up to this point. Wouldn't you agree, Corey? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We talked about that a lot, that every one of these scouting trips so far is, you know, it kind of starts off going down the roller coaster, either it goes way into the dumps and then it makes its way back up. Uh, but you know, we've, we've definitely built a lot of confidence, you know, by staying out in the woods and let's dive right into it. We drove down this Wednesday, which was like July 19th. So middle of July. And like I said, the whole goal was to just check up on these cameras, kind of get an idea of what the deer are doing right now. And so get down there first thing in the morning, we go check camera number one, which is on the first Kentucky in session video. It's actually where we started. And what do we find there, Corey? I'll let you take over. We had somebody that actually took our first camera home to their house and brought it back out three or four days later, hung it on a tree a few yards over uh, from where it was, and they hung it on the ground. And we got a lot of pictures of the bottom of of bucks really interesting yeah so so it was the first day of turkey season it looks like according to the cameras so we, we put these cameras out it was like what march what we come up with march 12th i believe right around that day this would have been april i want to say it was like 19th is what the camera said 
But anyways, it got, yeah, somebody picked it up and you could see it swinging in their hand. They never turned it off. They took it back to their house. They have a blue room in their house with a white closet door. It sat there and took pictures on and off for three days. And then you see it swinging through the woods again. And then it's strapped to a tree three inches off the ground, 10 feet from the tree that we had it on pointed at a scrape. They actually put it on the tree that the scrape was on, but it was three inches off the ground. And so obviously that is a disaster. It's the weirdest thing ever to me. I've never had that happen. Normally they'll like turn it off or take a battery or take the card or steal the whole camera, but I've never had one take the entire camera. And I don't know if they just felt bad or what, but bring it back, which blow absolutely <laughs> blows my mind. But so what we ended up finding there was obviously that kind of ruined uh, the intel, at least 99% of it. But the thing that we still gained was there is a ton of deer that are actively moving up and down through that system exactly how we expected them to. And they're even, they're even bedded in the same spots. There's one new bed that popped up that you can see really good now that everything's green. And it is about half the distance from the major bedding area that we showed in that video. Um, but I don't think it's a factor because it's still probably about 100 yards out and it's really thick on that side. So what we did is we hung the camera on a different tree and not three inches off the ground. And then we just worked up those scrapes a little bit and sprayed them with buck fever synthetics and we moved on. Uh, the one thing I will say about that camera is in, in the background, like these deer are feeding on forbs and just browse very heavily right now. And so they get into some of these spots and they're just kind of milling around. And it seems like when you get around some of these scrapes, I see the deer milling a lot more around scrapes where they just like want to, they just want to be around them for whatever reason. And what we did catch was one decent buck. And by decent, I mean, there's, you're going to see a trend here with what I believe is the genetics of this area or the lack of minerals or something. But I would say that this deer is a three-year-old, four-year-old deer, and he is roughly 105 inches. You know, he's got decent yeah. tines. He's got good mass but he just doesn't have a 130 inch frame. He's just not gonna be that deer. He's like 12 inches wide. So he's doing exactly what we think. And I honestly, the more I've thought about this whole thing after this trip, the more my expectations have, have lowered, to be honest with you. And I think that's okay because we have a bunch of big old mature deer on these cameras that just aren't sporting giant racks like Ohio. And I don't think that that's the end of the world. I have no issue at all. I am definitely not too good to go down and shoot a four or five year old 110 inch deer, especially in velvet. Like if, if we go in, we, in my opinion, killing a five year old that's 110 inches is no different than killing a five year old that's 210 inches. The, the antlers on his head don't dictate the hunt and determine the hunt. So for me, I mean, my mentality is I, I absolutely will kill that deer. And I think you feel the same way. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I mean, to be honest, it was a huge eye opening experience right there. Uh, you know, we still got the data we were looking for, you know, we still were able to find and pick a kill tree. Um, I'm still very glad we went out and, and checked them honestly, because the other factor of that is that drainage actually is filled up. It's a water reservoir. So, uh, just even, you know, factoring now and confirming our access routes and, and thinking about that and, and realizing too, that the deer were doing exactly what we think they're doing. So. Adjusting the cameras now, getting set up to get the better intel, the better photos, uh, accounting for green up, you know, moving them outside of everything that's grown up underneath and still being able to see the scrape, figure out what's going on. I think it's going to pay dividends. And, and honestly, you know, for me, just the mental fact of going out of state, coming down, hunt with your buddies, spending all year planning and prepping, 
and and killing a velvet buck you know dude I, i'd be happy with a 110 inch deer it doesn't need to be a 150 160 you know so I'm excited, man. I, I'm I'm excited too, and I feel the exact same way. And you brought up a really good point there that reservoir filled with water, and we've we've came up with a theme. I was going to wait till the end of the podcast to bring it up, but before we get into the rest of these cameras, the thing that I want to mention is the one you know we put these cameras out really early. It's the first time I've ever actually deployed cameras in March, in my opinion, and I think you feel the same way. It is just not worth it because there's so many things to account for, like. We put cameras on trees that were bare and they just sprouted stems that grew four feet. And like it's a a four foot green stem that happened to be right in front of the camera. You cannot control that. You cannot control the the leaves pulling the branches down a little bit. Like you just, you can't verify how far that's going to be in. And hardwoods where you can't cut anything, it's hard to actually Mm -hmm. determine that and dictate that. So I would say that that, along with the fact that all these turkey hunters that were really walking around in there, because like turkey pressure is definitely higher in Kentucky than anywhere else I've ever seen. There's just guys everywhere. And the chances of somebody messing with cameras like happened to at least three, possibly four of our cameras is just really high. And so for me, I'll just wait. Like I, you know, I I still think that spring scouting is extremely valuable out of state and we need to do that. But I do think that the camera deployment stage should be this June or July time frame after green up. So you're just you're in the game. And when you make these scrapes, if you have to clean them up with a, your a stick or your boot or anything else, they're bare the rest of the year. And so it's a it's a visual thing for a deer to see and go over to it where if you do it too early in the spring, it's going to green up and grow grass within that scrape if it's not used. And then it's gone. It just disappears. So, you know, from the scrape thing, from the pressure thing and guys checking our cameras, all these factors to me, it's like, okay, let's go scout these new states in the spring, June or July. Let's make our trip down like we're doing now. Thankfully, we went down because I think we saved our season. I think we're going to kill. And I think the reason for it is because we went down there and saved our season. I'm thinking June or July, put the cameras out and then we'll go a couple weeks before season and then check them and get that data. So for me, it's a three-step process before season. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, 100%, especially if you've never hunted this area before. I mean, the spring scouting is still vital. I had a great uh, discussion with DJ Riley the other day, and you know he spends a lot of his spring scouting, and he's marking pins for where he's going to build mock scrapes. And, and so when he comes back in that June, July timeframe, he's got those mocks pinned. And, and what he's doing is he's looking at exit routes, basically a betting. He's finding crossing trails as closely betting as he can, and he's building mocks there. But those mocks, he's already pre-planned due to his spring scouting. And honestly, I mean, that out-of-state stuff for us, you know, I'm not necessarily upset that we put cameras out because I do think we did get a lot of data from it. But, you know, looking back now, I think going to a new state next year, you know, get out there, do spring scouting, come back post-turkey season when you can kind of see a lot of the green up and and then maybe hang cams. Um, one, because I think you're going to be able to determine what actually is growing up. Um, but the second part of that is you kind of avoid the turkey hunters. And we saw that trend. I mean, as soon as turkey season was over and as soon as green up came in, nobody wants to deal with the ticks. Nobody wants to deal with the snakes, the spiders, the thickets. Walk. I mean, we were walking through briars like it was nothing. And I think that deters people. So if you, if you're willing to deal with that stuff and come back in the summer, it's a great time I think to start getting your intel, especially in that out of state process. It definitely is, and especially if it's uh if you're going down with the intentions of hunting and targeting those deer in early season, 
it's going to look the exact same. Like the woods are not going to change aside from food sources shifting from right now, July 21st today up until September 2nd when Kentucky opens up. You know, the next Mm -hmm. 45 days isn't going to change at all. And so like we got a lay of the land and we know exactly what those deer are doing to traverse. We know how they're utilizing these drainages now that there's a bunch of green up in there and briars and, you know, the travel routes have shifted off to the side closer to the ridges a little bit, or they're actually traveling directly in the creek beds we saw. But there was just so much data that we gained from going down there in July. I'm so glad we did that, where if we would have just skipped this trip and waited until August to pull those cameras, man, we would have been hurting come the opener. And like we, we still probably would figure it out, and I still think that we have kill locations that we could just take random sits at. But if you really want to go down there and feel like you're in state and feel like, you know how I am, man. When I go out to hunt, in my head, I want 100% confidence that I'm killing a deer. Even if it's not going to happen, I want to walk in the woods with no, no doubt in my mind whatsoever that that deer's in a lot of trouble. And to be honest with you, if we would have waited until August to pull those cameras, we wouldn't have had it because they weren't like somewhere off, somewhere not working because they got messed with by somebody the the leaves in front of them the branches in front of them you know one being three inches off the ground there's all these factors so yeah for me it just it's an absolute no-brainer that that's the process we need to have moving forward so let's get into the second camera we worked down into the second one um the big thing i took off i took away here was actually access because my thought process when we spring scouted is that i was going to access this bottom to get in here and hunt and man, it took us without gear on our backs, like stands or saddles or anything else. It took us an hour to traverse like 600 yards through this. It was like a rainforest of green briars. I mean, it was just, yep. I definitely see that Kentucky can be way thicker than Ohio in certain areas because that was just, it was just plain and simple nasty. It was, and then couple that with the deadfall in there and we were just in for a world of hurting the whole time. So what we came up with there was accessing up the spine of the south facing slope of that hub system and then we're going to get in a drainage like a hog's back drainage that actually dumps down into the hub we want to target so we're going to make a big loop to get in there as opposed to walking directly up the creek which is a little bit different but i've killed deer doing that before so i feel very confident that we can pull that off you know wind-based bedding is the biggest thought process in my head in the hills and it's the same thing as when i killed dad's buck i have a lot of confidence that i can walk that south facing slope without busting a bunch of deer that are bedded on it because they should be bedded on the north facing slope. It's shaded. It's going to be cooler. The wind's going to be wind over back for them. They have all these factors that put them in that area. So I think access is going to be good. And honestly, that was the biggest takeaway because we got back in that system and that camera had that big green stem in front of it. And it took 8,500 photos that I'm actually going to go through after this to see if there's one photo of a decent buck on there. But so that camera was kind of a waste to be honest with you. And that was another we elevated it up. It's over a giant, it's the car hood scrape that's in that first Kentucky in session video. It's a huge scrape. The one that we were all excited about and the camera just had some branches in front of it. They literally grew out of the base of the tree. Like there is nothing that you could do in that situation. There's no way to see that happening at all. Um, I was very shocked to be honest with you, but we, we adapted, right? We hung another camera there in a better location, pointed to that scrape, And based on now that you can see the trails going through the tall grass in that little bottom because it's a grassy bottom, now we have where all the trails meet. Like we have a very good 
a hub of trails coming off all those different bedding areas. And I feel like we're just, we're in the game. We have the kill tree and everything. I mean, I don't have any problem going in there. Do you? No, I, I think that that particular hub is going to be exactly what you said. It's a, it's a game of access and trusting your gut, you know, and we, that particular situation, it's almost a have to use the ridge to access due to the bottom so thick, we're going to make too much noise getting in there. And so trusting your gut that, you know, you're you are in the south facing slope and the deer are going to be on the north facing side that you're going to be fine and take your time, get in there. Don't use the bottom because you're making too much noise. I think that was another thing that, that this trip was huge for is some of those trees we picked out back in the uh, spring were actually dead. and you know, kind of coming into this now, we were able to kind of take a second look at that, reevaluate, all right, that tree is dead. We can't, we can't use that. And we were able to adjust. And I definitely feel a lot better, you know, being able to go back down there in August. I feel like our, our game plan is going to be on point. So, so yeah, we didn't have any deer on that second camera at all. I think we had a couple, I mean, tiny little bucks, it would have been May-ish. And then that stuff grew up and it just, it was, I mean, we have specific days where it's like a thousand photos in a day. So definitely a failure on our part. Um, so like I said, we regrouped, we got out of that system, we went to the next system. So we get in the next hub and we check that first camera and the first camera, it actually didn't take a picture of us. I noticed it didn't click when we walked by it. It took us a while to find it, to be honest with you. But we checked that camera and we had a turkey hunter come right down the pipe with a shed antler in his hand. And I don't know what he did. He might've turned a battery upside down or something, but the camera quit functioning after that, that picture of him until we put another camera up. So it, you know, it didn't function from April 20th or 21st or whatever it was. Um, so I know that we lost, we missed out on a ton of Intel there. And that one was really frustrating to me. But once again, we adapt and we recognize some things with the green up in that area. We actually came up with a really good kill tree and we made a really nice mock scrape and it just, you, you know, basically the deer can go two directions right there. And we made the mock on the direction that's targetable from the tree we need to be in up against that south facing slope of that drainage. So our thermals are pulling up. And I feel extremely confident that on a west wind, if that deer's daylighting there, we can kill him for sure. So I uh, really liked that one. We have another camera set up there. Didn't get any intel from that. We go into the fourth spot and Mr. Turkey Hunter. This is actually in the hub now of this system. This is one of our favorite hubs, but going there and Mr. Turkey Hunter walked by that one too, but he didn't see it. And so it didn't get messed with, which was nice because we did have, I would say the most amount of bucks that we had was on that one. They just didn't have any size to them. What do you think about that, Corey? Honestly, it goes back to the initial game plan that you, you uh, put together with all this is we did spread a wide net and kind of goes back to what I'm saying. I, I am glad we put cameras out when we did because really what we the intel we got was you know there's deer in all these systems um but there was definitely certain systems that had a lot more activity than others and certain ones that had a lot more daylight activity so i, I think you know kind of looking at that now you know we found the ones we've narrowed down that wider net to a little bit smaller of a net and what that in my opinion, it's giving us the, the ability to do when we come back in August is, you know, really fine tune this and, and look at the specific ones that we think are producing the best and, and maybe cast a few more cameras or a little bit wider net within that system. I feel really good about that one. I do too. And the one thing I want to reiterate here that we've already mentioned, but we haven't mentioned it in this system yet is the fact that 
there's a lot of bucks coming down into this system and there's some phenomenal betting above it. They're doing exactly what they should be doing. We have we have everything exactly where we need it to be. And these are old deer. They are absolutely mature bucks. Just because they don't have 140 inch racks doesn't mean they're not mature. They're big, you know, broad shouldered, saggy belly bucks. And we have multiple of them doing that. And they're very consistent in these hubs. They're just like, maybe this one has 115 inch deer, a couple 115s. And you know, it's early still. So maybe the Kentucky growth will surprise me and they'll sprout more time length than I think they will. And they'll be up in that 125 or 130 range, but they're, they're just not giant racked bucks, but they're definitely old mature deer. And so like, I feel so good about the fact that we can go to a place and just mature deer doing what we find mature deer doing in the hills anywhere else. Uh, I just want to point that out. But so the deer there can, they can come down the hub and they can go to a white oak flat or they can run the drainage out to some ag. And the thing about that one is the t- trying to catch both and target both is kind of difficult. So you, there's two ways to approach it. Way number one is you go in, you actually separate the hunts. And what I would do is hunt the field first because that's the drainage you're accessing from. And I feel like you're only going to get one chance at that. And then I w- my second hunt would be I would target the travel route to the white oak flat if I saw them doing that. You know, it just gives you two hunts in that system. But the other way to approach it is to just try to find a tree that does both. And it might not be perfect, but it might do both. And I think that's what we found. Right in the middle of that system, it's really, really thick. And there's one tree that we can both get in that gives us a ton of cover. It's almost too much cover. There's like six to eight foot shooting windows on both sides. Both trails, you would have an eight foot section to shoot, but you're not going to see the deer until they get in that trail unless you hear them coming down the ridge or working the scrape that's further back in the thick stuff. But like we can't even see the hub scrape from the tree we picked out. So what we did. We created two more mock scrapes, one on each trail in that window. They just so happen to have beech trees right there. There's a ton of beech in this one bottom. And so we created two more mocks to just stop the deer. So the goal is when we go in there is I'll sit strong side shooting one, one trail, and then you'll sit strong side shooting the other trail, and we'll have the camera in the middle. And when the other guy says, big buck, big buck, whoever isn't shooting grabs the camera and we just turn it and point it at the deer and we shoot them hopefully working that mock scrape hopefully they don't just walk right past it but i don't think they will we worked up those mocks pretty good to make them something where they would want to check it out so if that works out the way we want it to i mean that spot could be could be absolutely killer and that's why i love these narrow hubs you know that's such a big thing so we we walk up that ridge and we get up to the point of the ridge and we actually this is why being in some of these sections more than once is good we found a whole new portion of of mature buck bedding we we're walking up the point of this ridge just kind of looking at flats seeing if there's any other scrapes up there because i've had pretty good luck on scrapes that are closer to the bedding area up on those flats too they're harder to target yeah. but every once in a while you will get lucky and kill one up there but so anyway so we're walking that flat and there was a fallen tree and we walk up to that and there was like three or four beautiful beds that are a buck shifting around it looks like based on the specific wind so now we have two buck bedding areas within 100 yards of each other and in between that we found a scrape on a flat that we didn't see the first time we were in there so going in the second time did wonders for us. So we put a camera on that too, to gain Intel. And I feel like, you know, we're going to have a bunch of good travel up there between those bedding areas, whether it's the same buck or whether it's two different mature deer, there's obviously a lot of competition right there. There's a ton of rubs. 
There's actually a horizontal rub on a living tree. It just grew out of the dirt sideways and they've been hitting it really good. And there's a cluster of scrapes right off that point on that flat. So I feel good about that. The next thing we did is we hopped up over the ridge and we hightailed it down into the system with the signpost rub. So we come up over top of the ridge into the hub that had the signpost rub that we did like that little time warp in on the video. And yep. we checked that camera. That camera was actually pointed way too high and we missed the heads of a lot of deer. Like if they, if they're at the perfect angle, you could see like just a little piece of the deer as it came by, but we missed. That was a complete miss on our part. I don't remember pointing the camera up that high, so I don't know exactly what happened there, whether it, I don't, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. Maybe the strap, like t the tree grew and pulled the strap and it angled it up a little bit, or we just completely dropped the ball, which is more than possible. But so no Intel at all from that camera besides you could see like one tiny little rack that was like a 30 inch deer we readjusted that camera and we're gonna let that one soak all the way through the rut i don't see us checking that before season to be honest with you i just we have more efficient spots that have a lot of productivity right now and a lot of consistency and i feel like we should probably focus on those so that to me is like a that's a spot where i feel like if we get in a pinch we'll go check that unless we're in that situation or unless we have a north wind and it's just a weird day where we have nowhere else to go, we'll probably stay out of there. Another thing to note on that, Jake, it, if I remember right, when we ridge hopped there, uh, we marked quite a few different oaks that were actively dropping up top. I, I remember we had that discussion of if this top holds fresh white oaks, we're going to have a hard time getting those deer to drop down to the bottom, maybe right out the gate. And so it's just another factor to probably leave that one alone for now, I would say. That's a that's a great point. And that is something we haven't touched on much where uh in this whole trip, it seems like we didn't see we saw very few red oaks that were actually dropping acorns due to the windstorms and rainstorms that rolled through. Uh chinkapins are loaded pretty good. Burr oaks are loaded pretty good. The whites were sporadic, but we did find some whites that we're holding in close proximity to some of these kill locations, which is exactly what we were looking for. And then also, if we get in a late season pinch, because the Kentucky season goes a little bit later than most, we verified that we do have chestnut oaks dropping up on top of the spine of those ridges. And so we kind of have, we have all the food we need, in my opinion. We have the early season food and the late season food. I don't plan on being in Kentucky late October or for the rut. We've got too many other states to try to target this year. But so honestly, for what we want, I feel like we have the perfect food sources. We leave that signpost rub. We head up over the ridge and we check a camera that has a, there's a thicket on the edge of a flat. This spot was kind of, it was the same story. We, the camera was actually functioning. It did have a little bit of greenery in front of it. The flag did a little bit, but overall, not bad. And we did have a lot of deer activity up there, but uh, we dropped down and now we're walking through. There's actually some like, it doesn't look like they were planted fields, but it looks like maybe they threw down like throw and grow or something in some of these bottoms and tried to manage it a little bit. And we checked for tracks, kind of told the same story. We found some good tracks, but we didn't find like the giant track, but it's also Kentucky and I don't know exactly what I'm looking for yet. So uh, what I'm thinking here is this reminds me a lot of my conversation with Heath Cisco, where I want to get a picture of a big buck. I want to be able to find his track in Kentucky. That might be my goal for the next year is locate a big buck that was there 
couple days or the day before I get there to check that camera and, or see them. If I can get a visual observation, even hunting, I'll, if I don't kill him, I'm probably going to get down when we're done hunting and go look at his track because I want to see how big a mature buck track is in the state of Kentucky. I can sit here and say, oh, it's four fingers all day long, but I don't, I don't know. I have no idea, to be honest with you. It might sound ridiculous. Maybe it is the same, but I just, I don't know. So that's something going through my head. But Corey, we went up and over that last ridge and we were grinding at this point. You know, we had a high mileage day. We went through a lot of thick stuff. Uh, it took limited water like always. And we get up on top of the ridge. We came down through some bedding and get into that last hub system of the day. And I really like this hub system. Well, how do you feel about it? First thing about it that I noticed right off the rip was it just was a lot thicker up on the benches than a lot of them. It's set up really well uh, for buck bedding. And we came down that first flat, big scrape. And I think I, well, this was the hub I did not scout with you in the spring. You scouted this with Josh and Chris after I left. And so that, that stood out to me a lot. And you said you had found this scrape then, um, but we kind of looped around the thicket and there was another one on the bench there. And I remember we just took a second to stop and look at that. And it was very obvious that these were getting hit like now. And um, I think due to that, that upper bench being so thick, those bucks are in there all day long. And, you know, we pulled that, that camera and we found the biggest buck we found all trip. It's going to be interesting up there, but I think that that spot's going to be, it's going to be a good one. I do too. And the thing to point out here, I actually talked about it in the podcast that launched last week with Paul Putera is Forbes and greenery and browse. And these bottoms in Kentucky are full of, of Forbes. They're full of greenery and plants that are flowering. And these deer are just going down there and feeding. It's like nature's food plot right now. And so what we're seeing is these hub systems, why they're so good is because they have all this bedding with all these different wind-based directional points that they can bet on. And what happens in the summertime is they really like to bed on those north-facing points and benches where it's shaded. And you add, you know, the fact that it's thick ridges just creates more shade. And I mean, man, when we were walking down that north-facing slope, it's 10 degrees cooler than anywhere else that we were all day. And so it makes all the sense in the world. So these deer, even in the summertime, are bedded up on that north-facing slope and they're just dropped down to the bottom at night. I mean, I would say that this was our most consistent camera we had. I, we have bucks hitting this camera, mature bucks hitting it, every single day in daylight. And there might be a day or two that are missing in there in the week, but I would say five out of seven days a week for the last two months, those deer are hitting that scrape. And they're just coming right down the pipe. And that's why finding these smaller hubs is really good too, because they don't have anywhere else to go. They can't fool you. They have to come past your camera. And this one just sets up right. It's got so many things going for it. It's got a bunch of fallen trees that create cover for our access. So when we're walking in there, we can access up this drainage in this one. And then when we get close to the bedding, we actually have fallen trees to block us. And all we do is set up in a tree. And so the one thing that I really like here that we did is we created a mock scrape to turn the deer because the deer are coming off the bedding, they're headed directly at us. Like they're facing us, headed straight to us, but there's a big beech tree in between us and them. So they have two options. They can walk straight right under the tree we're going to be in, or they can turn left and go down the creek. If they turn left, and that would be heading towards the north, if they make that move and they start heading towards the north, we can shoot them broadside at 12 yards. But if they head straight, it's going to cause a lot of problems for us. So what we did is we created a mock scrape on that trail that goes left. 
to try to steer those deer 10 to 15 feet off of that one trail. So hopefully they come down that trail and even if they want to go straight, they turn left for a split second to check that scrape and we can shoot them at 12 yards. So that's like, when I think about mock scrapes, my biggest reason why I wanted to start running mocks is because you don't always have the perfect kill tree. And what you can do is you can tailor that scrape to give you a better opportunity at a kill, which is exactly what we did there. So that's just something to think about. But as far as like class of deer, you know, they're mature in this system, but once again, the biggest deer is 110 inches or 115 inches, or, you know, he's, he's in that realm. Like he's, I don't think we've, I don't think we found a 130 to be honest with you. Maybe like I said, if the tines get long, we will, but I don't, I don't care about that. There's multiple mature deer in these systems. It's still about the hunt. It's about the process. We went down to a new state. We put cameras out. We found a bunch of mature deer and we're going to put the hunt together. It's not necessarily going to be on 150 inch deer down in Kentucky, but you know what? That doesn't matter to me at this point. What matters to me is going out with my buddy, filming this thing and laying down a couple early season Kentucky bucks. I can't think of anything else that I'd rather do first week of September than that. I mean, it goes back, I think it's a Dan Infall quote, you know, it's, it's not about the hunt, it's how you got there. I mean, that, to me, this process, you know, spending a day and a half out there in the spring, walking 20 miles, coming back in the summer, I think we did 13 on Wednesday, you know, in, in the heat of summer through the thickets, figuring out a brand new area, and then coming down and putting a plan together and executing, you know, man, that's, that to me is what it's about. That's, that's self-fulfillment. That is earning that deer. And that's why we're here. It is. And it's all we can do. All we can do is continue to keep the feet moving and keep our heads down and just put the work in and hopefully reap the rewards. And you know what? The rewards are going to be you and I sitting in that tree, high-fiving and just hooting and hollering after we kill a, a mature Kentucky buck. And that's all that really matters to me at the end of the day is that is going to just be an awesome moment. And knowing how hard we've been working for this this year is just going to add to it. So I'm, I'm really excited, man. Um, just a little extra update for you guys. So we're going to go back down in about 35, 40 days, and we're going to recheck these cameras. We're going to be a lot more careful then because a lot of it's close to bedding. So we're going to walk up creek beds. We're going to walk down ridges. We're going to do whatever we have to to go to that camera, pop the card out, pop a new card in, and get out. We're not checking the cards standing by the cameras. We're not making any more mock scrapes. All of our work's done. We know what trees we want to be in. We know where the mock scrapes are at. We know where the real hub scrapes are at. All we have to do is pull cards, get a little bit more data, figure out where all the deer are for sure, and we're ready to rock and roll. So I think we've got 10 cameras out that we got to go check. And I'm really excited. I think that the process is unfolding right in front of us. All it's going to take now is a little bit of data, correlating that back to some wind directions and stuff like that. And I feel like we're going to feel very dangerous going into the Kentucky opener. I mean, I know personally, my goal is I want, I want both of us to have a buck down in the first week. And I, I absolutely think that's manageable. We, we positioned ourselves for that, I think, through these trips. So it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, guys, thank you for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a written review, and we will have another update on Kentucky for you mid-August.